Hey, everybody, welcome into Toe in the Slab Pitching with David Cohn. It is episode number 14. It's the first episode of the new year. Happy New Year. I'm Justin Shackle. He's David Cohn, James Smythe. Guys, that is the last time I will say Happy New Year uh, to you guys, uh, to everyone out there. I'm getting it out right of the way. I'm not that guy who will continue to say Happy New Year well into January. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but uh, welcome back. And we got a great guest on this week, David. Yes, he's, he is a true artist you know, on the mound. Uh, he, he, the sum of his parts is, is greater. You know, I guess the old expression, the old cliche, uh, the, he really is a pitcher's pitcher. And the, the mix of his pitches, his pitch design is really elite. And, you know, he talks about, uh, you know, he doesn't have great spin rate. He doesn't like the analytics and the numbers. But Chris Bassett, to me, is one of the uh, – the best pitchers in the game because of his style and his pitch design and his mix of pitches and his knowledge of how to pitch and reading of the bat and all the, uh, all the old school terms that, that you don't hear a lot anymore about uh, just the, the craft of, of, of the game and the craft of pitching. So, you know, I've been anxious to talk to Chris Bassett and he did not disappoint. I'll tell you what, when Chris Bassett and the A's came into Yankee stadium in you know, mid to late June at that point, and, they were the hottest team in the American league, but they played really well. Like they were, they were playing very good baseball. And I thought up until that point, the Yankees took two out of three of them, but I was saying to myself, and the A's are the best team that the Yankees have faced so far this season at that point in June. And then you see Chris Bassett get hit in the head by a comebacker in August, a few days before that, I think there were 19 games above 500 and for the last month and a half really faded hard and you just wonder how much of Chris Bassett's absence led to them kind of fading in that AL West race. And if he was there, you know, as consistent and as durable as they come, six innings, two runs, three runs, kind of every start, you wonder where the A's could have been down the stretch in 2021. It's a valid point. You know, I mean, uh, James can probably get into this a little bit more. But yes, I mean, even though a starting pitcher only pitches once every five or so games, uh, there is something to be said for somebody who's a stopper. There is something to be said for the collective feeling you get in the clubhouse when a guy that you really like and is reliable is on the mountain that day. It gives the whole team confidence. So that's a big void without a doubt. And even though, you know, you talk about how many starts he would have missed over the last six weeks, they were pretty important starts, as you said, Justin, that could have made a difference. Right. And they were in the, the wild card race and even in the division race with Houston uh, for most of the year. But a 13 and 17 finish uh, sputtering down the stretch, and they ended up just missing the postseason. Uh, the the 92 wins for the Yankees and Red Sox, A's at 86. They were right there until the last week of the season, too, even with the slump, and, and they just fizzled out. And you start wondering, well, yeah, you have a month of Chris Bassett starts that uh, that you don't have. He was one of the most consistent, reliable pitchers in the league. So here from Chris. Great time talking to him, also talking about the state of the A's organization. There was a lot of talk before the lockout about what Oakland was going to do. We'll touch on that with Chris as well. We'll get into three up, three down this week in pitching history. We go with the opener, but before we go any further, David, happy belated birthday. You celebrated a birthday over the weekend. This is our kind of our first chance on the pod to uh, to say happy birthday. So you get a new year and you're uh, you're you're a New Year's baby. Just about, you know, I, ironically, you know, I, I talk about Joan Cohn on the, on the air quite a bit. She was the first sabermetrician I ever met. She kept the scorebook at all my Little League games. She was fantastic. She had a good perspective on 
the law of averages. It's going to be okay. You know, you keep, keep grinding. You're, you're, you're going to, you're going to have some success, but uh, you know, it, it's, you know, for me, uh, and we, she was trying, you know, I, I was born on January the 2nd. There was a big promotion in Kansas city, Missouri, where I was born that particular year in 1963, that there was a $10,000 bonus for the first baby born in the new year on January the 1st. So Joan Cohn was in the hospital all day on January the 1st, but I did not cooperate. I came out about two in the morning on January the 2nd and 10 grand, you know, out the window. So she never <laughs> let me forget that either. You were a little late. You were just a tad tardy. <laughs> yes. Did, did not want to come out. So, you know, it's, it's uh, talk about the law of averages, the law of nature. <laughs> all right, David, what do you have for the opener? Well, a couple, you know, I, I mean, it, there's, there's a couple of different things, uh, different ways we could go here. But, you know, I think for the opener to me, and we talked to Chris Bassett about the solidarity of, of the Players Association right now and everybody's on the same page. For me, there's other things being discussed. And maybe we can get into it further in, in another episode. But, you know, for the fans out there, what rules changes potentially would you like to see? You know, and there's several on the table, whether it's a pitch clock, 15 or 20 second pitch clock to help kind of just increase the pace of the game. Uh, how about uh, limiting the number of pitchers on a roster to maybe 11 or so? And that way, starting pitchers would, would become more prominent again. You'd have to get some more length out of your starting pitchers. Uh, something even a little more exotic I'm not a fan of, but maybe banning the shift or having some something to do with the shift. Uh, so these are the sorts of things that are being discussed right now. And, uh, you know, maybe that's a mailbag issue in, in the future for our fans to discuss about uh, what they'd like to see potentially in terms of just subtle changes to the game and, Maybe just to make get a little more action going. James, whenever I see this topic on Twitter, you always bring up some really good points about some several rule changes. What what do you like? What are the, like the top two? You know, let's not go crazy. Like, what are the, like the top two that you think above all else could be really good ideas and help the game? I think the two. We'll start with one where Coney mentioned it: the uh, limit on the number of pitchers on the roster. I feel like that would be the most useful because. You would, there would also be other effects from that. So Coney talked about getting starting pitchers deeper in the game. Well, if you have a smaller bullpen, you might have to lean on those starters more. And also, you know, so much has been made about the velocity boom over the last 10 to 15 years, which has been the main contributor of the skyrocketing strikeout rate. Well, if guys are pitching more often, maybe you don't go 100 mile an hour balls to the wall all the time. So you have to kind of lean it back a little bit, which would pace pitchers out a little more. And that could bring velocity down. It could bring a little more contact into the game. Something that a lot of fans are talking about. That's what they want, more contact. Another thing I think uh, the pitch clock would be a big one too. Um, It's a lot more downtime between pitches uh, than there used to be even five, 10 years ago. Um, You know, everyone joked about Steve Traxel in the nineties. He would be, Uh, an above average uh, quick working pitcher nowadays. Um, And I think, and that's another one where if pitchers have less time between pitches, then maybe they're not going full max effort every single pitch, which could, you know, lower velocity and maybe even put less stress uh, on the arm. So I think um, a pitch clock could help and and every little bit, um, you know, you go, you can turn a three and a half hour game, uh, in, into a shorter time pretty quickly. There's about 300 pitches uh, per big league game. So even if you take two seconds off the average time between pitches, that's 10 minutes you're getting out of thin air right there. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've wavered kind of back and forth where I'd want to go with these rule changes. But the more and more I think about it, the more and more I read and hear other people's opinions, definitely having a limit on the number of pitches on the roster. And instead of a pitch clock, because you know, we, we were talking to Robbie Ray a month or so ago, and he was really against a pitch clock. He just feels like there are certain pitchers who, at that point, if you tap into that area, you're going to mess with their actual game, and strategy comes into point. I think there should be that rule that's already written down but should be really enforced is keeping the batters in the batter's box. No more adjusting the gloves, especially if you're not swinging at the pitch. No more adjusting the shin guards, the uniform, you know, tugging at the shirt sleeves, whatever it is. Stay in the batter's box. Let's go. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's uh, we're, we're kind of all on the same wave, wavelength there. Uh, definitely probably a, a, a clock of some sort for me, just not with the pitcher. Fair enough. Yes. Somebody, yeah, it's, these are things that, that need to be discussed. I agree, you know, and there's a, there's a wide... Uh, wide variety of opinions on this issue. And uh, we didn't even get into catchers framing if they go with robo lumps. If we have an automated strike zone, all these catching coaches and all these catchers that have really perfected their, their skill sets on framing pitches, it goes by the wayside. So that, that we haven't gotten there yet. I don't know if we're ready for that yet. I don't think the game's quite ready for automated strike zone, but it kind of feels inevitable at this point that it's going to happen, you know, when, when the technology and, and the people are on the same page. All right, we are about ready for Chris Bassett, right-hander for the Oakland A's. David, I know you mentioned he is one of the most consistent starting pitchers in the league over the last couple of seasons here. Coming off a career year in 2021, 12-4 record, 3-1-5 ERA. Career highs in games started, innings pitched, strikeouts, 7.3 hits per nine. I finished in the top 10 in Cy Young voting for his second straight year, and he made his first All-Star appearance. The... Frontline starter for the Oakland A's, Chris Bassett is our guest here on Tone of the Slab. A reminder before we get to Chris, if you like what you're hearing here on Tone of the Slab, please rate, review, subscribe. It's the best way that you help out our podcast here. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you think we could do better even. Uh, Why not? Some people say, hey, keep that to yourself. Nah, bring it to us. We'll see what happens here. Uh, Again, without further ado, it is Chris Bassett here on Tone of the Slab, pitching with David Cohn. Chris, thank you so much for joining us and coming on the show here this week. And I, I think we're we're catching you at a pretty good weekend uh, after a, a good weekend, I should say, because you're a, an Ohio guy. You have that Buckeye blood. And yeah. not only do you get to see, well, Ohio State win the Rose Bowl over, over Utah, pretty exciting bowl game, probably the most exciting bowl game this year. But you also see Michigan kind of just get flattened in the in yeah. the semifinal game by Georgia. So what's uh, what's more pleasing for you there is it watching the Buckeyes win a Rose Bowl game ultimately at the end of the day you know not a national championship or is it seeing Michigan kind of get waxed no I, I think the the best thing was I know Rose Bowls I mean I don't know about you guys but Rose Bowls I know we're supposed to mean a lot but ever since this final four thing I feel like bowl games are greatly diminished but uh not losing to two Pac-12 teams in one year is uh, really nice. So I'm glad I'm glad we we beat Utah, Ohio State. You're really active with the football, though. I mean, I, I see. I love it. I'm a, I'm a, I am a I am massive fan of football. I, I I just love I love it all. So yeah, I'm a big I'm a big fanboy, as so they say, uh, when it comes to football. And with that, I, I heard 
a few months ago, back on the Chris Rose rotation, you know, really early in the football schedule, but you were mm-hmm. boasting how you are a very competitive fantasy footballer and you yeah. get your team deep into the postseason. We're near the end of the regular season here in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So where's Chris Bassett's fantasy team as it relates to the Oakland A's fantasy league? Yeah, I was in two leagues, one with Oakland. I took third in that, um, lost, a, lost a pender. He, uh, he took first. He, he had the best team. He he was a Cinderella story, got in barely, but everyone knew he was the best team. He was a sixth seed that, that snuck into the playoffs and then just destroyed everybody. So um, a lot of injuries got me, but, yeah, I got third place. Well, that's fantastic. You know, I, I, it's amazing, you know, it, it, when you're in a major league clubhouse, Chris, as you know, that you need you. there's so much dead time. You need these sorts of diversions, right, and you, whether it's a fantasy football draft or anything, card games or or whatnot, especially nowadays when the clubhouses are closed to the media. So it's just you guys in that clubhouse. You got to keep each other entertained. And some of your best friends are in that clubhouse, I know. But uh, yeah, I I love that dynamic. It's probably one of the things I miss the most is is that camaraderie and being in that clubhouse and doing the sorts of things you're talking about. Yeah, it's all, I mean, it's just competition. And if you can compete in it, we're trying to do it. And uh, yeah, uh, Fantasy football for all of us is definitely one thing where we can obviously stay connected throughout the off season. We, we talk all the time um, and then just give each other crap every week. So it's, it's, it's fun. That, that's the best part, right? Keep each other honest. That's for sure. That's the best part about baseball and team sports, but, but you know, I, Chris, you know, I've been a big fan of you from afar. It's not, thank you so much for coming on. I enjoy watching you pitch. I think you're kind of a, you know, I mean, in today's power game, you, you're you a true craftsman. You know, you throw all of your pitches. You know, you mix it up as well as anybody. The, the game you pitched at Yankee Stadium earlier this year, I, I called that game. I was just impressed with the, 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 your craftsmanship, as I said. You know, the, the four-seamer, the two-seamer, the mixing it up, uh, the different looks that you give, uh, the way you attack the strike zone with all your pitches. Are you, are you a guy that's evolved? I mean, do you know what your numbers are as far as the new metrics go and your spin rate and vertical and horizontal breaks? Or do you – do you pay attention more to just feel? Or are you more of a feel pitcher? Uh, I would say I'm just like a – I'm a little bit of a unicorn when it comes to all that because I'm not a feel guy by any means, um, but I'm not a power guy by any means either. I, I am way more of – I don't like the analytical numbers, and the reason I say that is because I know the analytical numbers say I'm not good. Um, my spin rate is supposedly really bad. My four-seam spin rate supposedly not – supposed to not be elite and all this stuff. But then I have good numbers and everyone's like, well, this is like an anomaly. Well, it, I, I don't have an anomaly four or five years in a row. I'll tell you that. So some, something's off where you guys can't explain it with numbers. So I, I, I guess I've learned to quiet the noise when it comes to all that stuff. And I just like going and talking to players. And that, that's my thing. I don't, I'm not a field guy when it comes to pitches. I'm not really a field guy or analytic guy in that aspect I just like talking to Elvis when he comes over from Texas I like talking with Simeon when he sees in spring training and obviously facing him now or Chapman or guys like that and what do you guys see when I'm throwing this pitch what do you guys see when I'm throwing that pitch and that's how I get my information that's how I get my like so-called data is if you throw this pitch in this zone, it's really hard. Obviously, I have arms flailing, legs flailing, and stuff like that. So I'm very deceptive. But I'm just way more of a, a people person when it comes to all this stuff rather than an actual number. 
you know, I, I guess the question I have, you know, and, and then James Smythe is here as well. He can break down your numbers a little bit and he's got a couple of questions as well. But, you know, for me, it was interesting just to watch the, the artistry of you pitch. And, you know, I had trouble, you know, with a two seam and a four seam fastball. One had to be kind of dominant for me. Either I was kind of a four seam guy and mix in an occasional two seamer or vice versa. You break the mold there. I, you know, watching you pitch, it's, it's almost as if two-seamer in on righty, two-seamer in on righty, then finish them off with a four-seamer. And just that little subtle spin difference is kind of your secret sauce. And I agree with you, spin rate's not everything. It's, it's the design, your pitch design to me is elite. You know, I don't know how you, you know, that's, that's by the eye, watching you pitch, watching you mix up six different pitches or equal breakdowns on your four-seamer and two-seamer. To me, that's the elite part of your game is your design. And, you know, how, how do you do that? How do you keep the feel on your two-seamer and your four-seamer and mixing up all those pitches so well? Yeah, I, I think with with the way that we're teaching hitting and the way that obviously when it comes to the goggles that people wear and just how, how much people are able to like look and like see you pitch, uh, you have to be able to read a swing. And if a guy is trying to kind of go underneath constantly and try to take away a two seam or he's trying to be really short with you, so you're kind of t- trying to take away a two seam uh, down and in, something riding in off them, you have to keep them honest. And I feel like so many people are now just here's the spin rate of this pitch to throw this until you can't throw it anymore. Well, the league knows that like the league knows you're throwing that. So uh, if you can't in game read someone and what they're trying to do to you, then good luck. Um, I think, I think you can have some success, but long-term success. I just don't know if that's going to be the case. James, what do you tell us about Mr. Bassett here? I'm, I'm uh, obviously I'm a huge fan. I'm a fanboy of his style of pitching. I think it's kind of a lost art in today's game. Yeah, I love I love it too. Um, Chris, the the season you had was fantastic. A three one five ERA and 157 in the third innings. Out of all AL pitches with 150 innings, that ranked third behind Lance Lynn and Robbie Ray. Uh, top ten in the American League in WAR. Uh, four on the nose there and. Um, you know, you, you said the, uh, a lot of the analytics uh, were a little down on you, but looking at your StatCast numbers, uh, they really like you. The, uh, the barrel rate and uh, missing, uh, missing bats and, and expected numbers on uh, getting weak contact. So, uh, so faring out very well there. And um, what I love is that you get it done. You're not blowing up the radar gun. 92, 93, 94, sinker, four seam, mixing a ton of pitches. Now, you've got five pitches that you throw 10% of the time or more, six overall, sinker, four seam, cutter, change up, slider, curve. I want to ask you about the slider because that wasn't something that you really threw very much mm-hmm. until this year. So I saw that you'd, you'd learned it from Sergio Romo helping you mm-hmm. with the arm slot and Jake Diekman helping you with the grip. Is that uh, Those are two pretty cool guys to, yeah. to learn a slider from, right? Yeah. 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 Uh... For me, I, I've I've struggled, and I'm still I'm still trying to get it. I'm still going to try to do it this off season. Um, and then I basically bring a pitch into spring training and see if it works. And half the time, we'll just throw it in the garbage and say good luck with something else. But uh, yeah, I, I'm more of a so-called spin guy. I, I can spin a curveball. I know how to do that well. Um, and Sergio basically does that, but from the sidearm action kind of thing. So it's slow but it breaks side to side. And I was like, Oh, I can, I can do that. I know that. So I got away from the so-called kind of just cutting a baseball in half and just letting the 
pressure points of your fingers take place. So you can throw a, a, a true slider that's hard um, and went to more, I would say, I would say it's more of a sideways curveball almost, to be honest with you, just because the way I throw it is not normal for a slider. Um, but yeah, it was just another look just so hitters can't just see a ball pop out of my hand and say, there's the slow curveball. So if I was able to keep the trajectory of the ball down and low, they can't do that's fast. Um, because I don't, I don't want to have a window. I'm basically trying to fill a gap with my slider. I'm trying to fill a gap between 70, which is obviously my curveball around that. And then 90 to 95 or whatever I am that day. Um, and then cutter plays somewhere around 90, we'll say 87 to 90. So if, if I have a gap between 87 to 70, I, I don't like that. So we, we've been trying to kind of just add a pitch into that spot where I can just fill that gap, whatever it may be. I don't care if it's 75. I don't care if it's 77. I don't care if it's 82. Um, just a pitch in that gap. So we're, we're trying to just have all, all the, just the so-called columns filled of he has every speed from 70 to 95. And then I can basically give Murph a uh, gold glove, by the way, Murph. Um, I can give him, here you go. This is what we got for the day. Let's go get him. Yeah, I would phrase Chris Bassett as maybe one of the biggest guessing games in the entire league if you're a hitter because you just don't know what quality pitch is, is going to come next. One thing that you were mentioning, though, and look, you're you're a tall guy. You're 6'5", and you're not crushing the radar gun, and you mentioned you have a lot of moving parts. Your arm's kind of out there from your body, and all this, you have good control. Like, what steps do you take, and what do you say to yourself to kind of nail down that rhythm that allows you to repeat these mechanics so well? Yeah, I think I, I think – when I was younger, I try to throw hard and I just thought speed was everything hard, hard, hard. Um, that's what the game says you to do. That's what everyone wants to see. So, uh, me and Montas, I've obviously been with Montas forever. Montas throws a hundred miles an hour whenever he wants. And me and him had a little fall league, just basically a little in between us, like who could throw harder. And I was the one that threw harder than Montas, believe it that or not. And I still give him crap for that for the day. So I could throw hard. It was just the, the problem with me was I didn't feel good when I was trying to throw really hard. So for me, it was more just health. I, I feel like I could walk into next year and I could sit 95. I, I know I could, but why do I have to sit 95 when I can sit 93 and have the exact same results and stay healthy? Um, now would I love to throw 95, 96 and stay healthy long-term? Sure. So we always kind of work on that. I'm trying to, I'm trying to walk in next year a little heavier than I ever have been, um, stronger than I ever have been, um, and see where that takes me. I don't know. I'm not trying to, I'm no longer trying to chase velo like I did in the past. If it happens, it happens. That's great. But if it doesn't, and I'm still 93, 94, um, that's fine too. I don't, I don't mind that, but, um, we're always kind of trying to tinker with that side of the game um, just the right way for me. Chris, you know, we had uh, Dr. Uh, Meredith Wills on who discovered that the major league baseball used two different balls last year. And one, you know, we, we sort of 
simplify and say one that flies and one that dies or one that's a little bouncier. And certainly you, you had a, a line drive accident last year. That was, that was a big deal, a scary situation. So happy to see you're okay. And you bounced back and came back, but I know you've been a little bit vocal about that and wondering, you know, Hey, which baseball was it? And, you know, do you, do you have any thoughts on that or how you feel about that? Or, uh, you know, maybe moving forward, uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on the baseball in and of itself? No, I mean, that was, that was totally me just stirring the pot, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I, I don't think the baseball had anything to do with me getting hit in the face. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see how we can play the sport with two different balls. I'll tell you that that's, that's pretty crazy. Um, so I hope that stops forever. That was a horrible idea, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think me getting hit in the face has anything to do with, with the ball. Uh, it's certainly glad to see you come back from that and do do extremely well. Uh, uh, staying on the ball theme, you know, in the Olympics, they used the Mizuno ball that was pre-treated with attackiness to the leather. Is, is that something that you've ever had in your hand, like one of those Japanese baseballs? Or is that, you know, the whole Delaware River mud and the rub up of the balls and the inconsistency of that? Would, would you be in favor of, you know, a baseball that had a little pre-tackiness to it? See, I, I again, I am one of the weirdos of, of the sport that I don't, don't like, don't use anything. I mean, and I'm not saying, and I'm not saying people that use stuff, it's wrong. That's part of the game, whatever. I don't, I'm not against any of that stuff, <clears throat> but I literally don't use anything. I don't touch the rosin bag. You can basically take the rosin bag and just throw it away. I don't touch that. I mean, I, I, I literally use nothing. So um, the thought of having a sticky ball, I, I, if, if we're going to a sticky ball, say, next year, I hope we have them tomorrow so I can start throwing with that because I'm not used to anything sticky on the ball. So, yeah, would it help my four-seam spin rate so people would stop saying I have a bad four-seam spin rate? <laughs> that would be good. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I, I think my spin rate on my curveball would go up. My four-seam spin rate would go up. Every, all this, my spin rates would go up, so it could help me but I'd like to get used to it because I just, I've never, never used it. So um, yeah, I'm not against it again. I just, I just hope we have some time to get used to it before we actually say, here's, here's an MLB game that counts. And these are the balls you're going to use now. Just speaking about the off season and, and what you were able to do to come back from that comebacker in August, you came back and you got into games before the season ended. Where do you think you would be right now mentally if you didn't come back at the end of the year and you kind of had to sit on that last moment? I would have just been mad. I wouldn't have been worried about a ball coming back at me again or pitching. I would have just been, I would have been more mad at myself or more mad at the situation of just not being able to finish with a team. I, I obviously I dealt with Tommy John before and I, I've dealt with, with all that junk. I, I, I absolutely hate, being on the IL, um, I want to avoid it at all costs. And the fact that that happened last year when I felt so good, I, I mean, obviously um, had a lot of innings, but I, I felt unbelievable. And I knew I could, I could pretty much, unless something kind of crazy happened, I was going to pretty much pretty easily finish the year healthy with a lot of innings. And that's what I want to do every year. Um, so that was the thing that this, that made me the most upset was just having IL time. Now it's obviously something I can't, I had no control over, no one had any control over, but um, 
Yeah, I just I I, I just hate the IL. I just don't want to be on it. It's pretty incredible to come back just 37 days later and to have, to have that that comeback before the end of the season. Um, one cool thing I saw about uh, when you returned was you got a get well book uh, with yeah. social media comments from fans that was uh, mm -hmm. put together from over 1,200 fans from all over the country and all over the world. That's pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, the, the, the support was unbelievable. Obviously, there's a lot of people. Um, a lot of teams, a lot of organizations that reached out. Um, it, just the baseball is so close. And yeah, I don't think you really realize that until, unfortunately, either really good things happen or really bad things happen. It's, it's, it's one of the two. Um, um, everyone else is just uh, whatever. And then once something really bad happens, it's like, dang, a lot of people reached out to you kind of thing. My phone was blowing up and obviously I couldn't see. So my wife was like, hey, this guy texted you, this girl texted you. Like, so uh, she was my secretary when my face was all swollen up. But uh, yeah, uh, just like I said, obviously everyone knows how special the game of baseball is. But once, once you really truly understand the backstory of everyone and how much people truly care about each other, it, it, it means so much more. Did you have a chance to get around to reading every single greeting from that get well book? Yeah, I did. Just, I was, I was unfortunately stuck in a room doing absolutely nothing and I couldn't really do much. So I, I, I me and my wife definitely did. My, it was more so my wife saying, listen, they made this for you. You have to do it. My, my wife makes me do all that stuff. So uh, yeah. Was there, was there an obscure greeting from an obscure place in the, in the globe that kind oh, of stood out the most? Yeah, there's a lot of different countries. I'm like, I don't know. I don't, you guys watching baseball, I didn't really expect that one. But uh, yeah, just I would say more, more so how uh, globally the sport is. I didn't really expect that. I, obviously, Otani has a lot to do with that. But uh, um, yeah, a, lo a lot of countries watch the game of baseball. So true. It really is international, you know, uh, Justin, you know, it's, you know, it's, I guess, you know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't go down this road with you a little bit. And obviously the open A's, the organization, Bob Melvin, now down in San Diego, the ballpark issues there. Do you, I mean, I, I love the Bay area, you know, I know, I know you're, you're from you know, North Carolina, but you know, how do you feel moving forward about the organization? Uh, how do you feel about your manager, you know, kind of being let go and then uh, you know, your future as well. How, where do you see yourself? Yeah, listen, we're in great hands. I, I, there's, there's so much turnover all the time right? within like a four or five year window with Oakland. Um, I was part of it the first time in 2014-ish. Um, and then the Oakland fans melted down and then we're really good again. And now they seem to be losing their mind again. But we're, we're going to be just fine. Billy Bean's there. David Force is unbelievable. Unbelievable what he does. Um, Mark Kotze is an unbelievable baseball person. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to miss Bowmel. I mean, Bowmel's, in my opinion, Bowmel is the best manager in baseball. Um, one of the best people in baseball, one of the best manager in baseball. You combine the two, he's the best. Um, so yeah, of course, we're, we're not the void of, of Bob Melvin, but at the same time, we have the pieces, we have the people still there to be very, very good. So we're, I mean, obviously I'm super excited to see what Mark Kotze does. Um, I'm super excited for 
what he brings to the table, how strong he is, how smart he is with the game. He's been there, done that. So, yeah, I think Oakland is in very good hands. I, I You know, talking about this, being an ace player, and, and you kind of mentioned it, I kind of feel like you you know that this comes with the territory, right? Like things like, you know, the reports about a teardown or a rebuild or roster reconstruction. Like I feel like you guys have to be numb to this. But when you see this in an offseason – is, is this something that you guys openly discuss and say like the team group chat? Are you, are you talking about the stuff that we're seeing with the Chapmans and the Olsons and the Montazes? Is that happening? I, I don't think we ever really talk about it just because it's just, it's just nonstop. I mean, you have a 14 game skid middle of the season last year, whatever it may be. Everyone's like, well, Oakland could be sellers. And then it's just, like I said, it, it's, it's just nonstop. So it's just like, like you just, you just tune it all out. It's just, it's all white noise. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't even think that's for Oakland. I think that's almost for every team. It's just with the media nowadays and with the amount of people on the media and Twitter and all that stuff, it's just, it's just so much nonstop. People tend to stay off, stay off it, stay away from it. Your new manager, Mark Kotze. Mm-hmm. What is something that only the guys in the A's clubhouse know about him? Ooh, I don't know. A plus golfer, I'll give you that one. He's he's dang good at golfing, but I, he's just. I, I just love <clears throat> I just love Kotze just because he he does not BS anything. He he is going to come at you when you need to be come at. He is not going to just fluff your pillows kind of thing and just tap you on the back and say, it's okay. If you're doing something wrong, he's going to let you know about it. So um, his hard headedness and how, how, how much he loves the game. Uh, I'm, I'm excited as, as heck to see him and what he does. And if he can take, and I guess keep like one endearing quality from Bob Melvin, because he was on Bob's staff, what as a player, what would you hope that quality is? Oof. Uh, obviously, Bomel is gonna gonna give a lot of uh, praise to uh, Rhino Ryan Christensen, um, but just Bomel's pre- preparedness of every moment. Um, Bomel's prepared for literally everything. I mean, literally everything. So yeah, that that would be that'd be number one. Bom- Bomel does all of his homework and then your homework and everyone else's homework too. So Bomo's Bomo's ready for it all. You know, I, I guess Chris too, you know, I was a long time player rep. I was American league rep for 10 years back in the nineties. Uh, I have a keen interest in what's going on right now, obviously um, uh, with, for you. Uh, do you feel like there are um, any significant issues that you worry about personally, or do you feel like, you know, that everybody's together. I think the most important thing for the players is that everybody's on the same page. Your player rep is talking to you. Everybody understands so that you don't get somebody giving an interview that kind of spikes, spikes the T so to speak, and and messes up the negotiations, you know, solidarity is so important. Uh, You you feel like the communications there this year, you feel like you guys are ready to to dig, dig your heels in the sand if need be. Yeah. I, I think, I think all the players want the same thing. And it's just, we're trying to push the game in the right direction. And we're trying to just, in my opinion, just do what's right. Like it's not even, 
we're not trying to take advantage of one side. We're not trying to get more than we should. It's just, we just know what, what it means, what the game needs to be better in almost every front. And it's not, we're trying to take advantage of any system or anything like that. It's just, we want the game to be the best it possibly can be. And I feel like um, our leaders are doing an ex- excellent job of that. And I think all the players for last couple of years, everyone that's talked has always been on the same page. So yeah, I think there is not a doubt. There's not a doubt in my mind that all the players are on the same side when it comes to all this stuff. It's just a matter of how much can we get done to better the game? It's again, it's not, there's so much stuff that we're fighting for that doesn't even better players. It like literally does not help us. It helps the game. And yeah, it's just, I, I leave, I leave all the talk to all the people that are really in charge with all that, but uh, I couldn't be more confident and more proud of the work they're putting in. You know, guys, one of the things about this lockout that has given players an opportunity to kind of get creative in how they voice their, their opinions about what's going on. And, uh, you know, a lot of it is satire, but it's funny because, Chris, I saw – I saw you put it out there on Twitter, man, your, your basketball resume, so to speak. And you played hoops in high school. I saw that as well, but you gave your own grades, your own measurables, and you have yourself as an A minus shooter. You have yourself as a a C plus dribbler, a B plus defender, but then an A plus plus shit talker. So, and, and I'm getting this vibe here between the fantasy football, between the friendly competitions you have with Montas and stuff about velocity. Are you also an A plus plus shit talker on the baseball field? uh behind the scenes i'm not i I will not go in the yankee stadium and just verbally talk to the other team while i'm playing them that 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 i will not do but behind the scenes yeah i'm I'm definitely doing a lot um but like in the clubhouse yeah chappie and Oli and all those guys are i'm i'm letting them have it nonstop. i'll tell you that but i i definitely uh respect my opponents on the field i'm not gonna i'm not gonna try to show you up and stuff like that um that's just not in my thing that's the part i miss the most justin i miss that part so much <laughs> talking smack behind the scenes getting on each other man man i miss that yeah it's it's a uh, i'll say this i talk i talk crap about the other team to like my teammates but i'm always talking crap about like the best players and it's kind of like like psych me up kind of thing for for who i'm going to go against and a lot of the times when I really mean, like when I'm really trying to drive in a point, I always give up a homer or something to like somebody. And my God, all the guys on the team are letting me have it. Like you are an idiot. Like stop talking about this dude. <laughs> are you, are you talking crap to yourself sometimes? I remember guys, I, we all have Yankee ties, David, James and I, and, and remember like CC Sabathia would be pretty verbal on the mound but half the time it's just him amping himself up and I remember a guy was like are you is that directed toward me and he's like no nah, if I was talking to you I'd be talking to you right. you'd know I'd be talking <laughs> to you are you are you talking crap to yourself oh yeah I'll, all 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 day long I'll do that like especially if I if I just throw like a non-competitive pitch guys didn't like it like I there's some there's some r r to x-rated stuff that I'll say to myself that's just like what are you doing? Like, what, what kind of mindset are you in for this? So yeah, there's, there's stuff behind the scenes that is not for the public and there's stuff behind the scenes with myself. That's, 
the public would be like, my gosh, this guy needs to go to a clinic or something. But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm definitely one of the one of the top top guys when it comes to all this stuff. Chris, this was awesome. Um, want you know what? In the spirit of this type of podcast, because this is a pitching podcast, and we want a lot of pitchers of all ages to gain something from this, and something that was pretty interesting about your you know amateur career so to speak you, mm -hmm. you grew up in a small town in ohio you went mm -hmm. to a small high school and i read you know you didn't go to the camps you kind of didn't put yourself out there you weren't heavily recruited and you're not in a baseball hotbed you grew up in you know between cleveland and detroit in the midwest so for uh, you know a youngster coming up trying to maybe find his footing here i remember you called that experience a fluke but now with several years of success at the highest level here, do you still look at it as a fluke or is it a matter of, look, if you have talent, you will be discovered no matter what? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if you go to the extremes of not putting yourself out there like I did because that's a, a massive risk and not, not being seen because it was literally one game. Like if I didn't pitch one game, it was a game against Toledo start. If I didn't pitch in that game, I don't know if I'm in the big leagues today just because that was the only reason that game was the only reason I got recruited to Akron. And then obviously the story goes on from there, but uh, yeah, I'm not saying do every single camp, but I think the, I think there is a truth to like the be an athlete and just kind of try to be a kid and enjoy, enjoy baseball, love baseball. But I, I'm, I might be going on a rat, a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but you don't need to just specialize in baseball because I see so many kids just get burned out so young, so early, like enjoy football, enjoy soccer, enjoy golf, enjoy, enjoy life. Like be still be a 15 year old, still be a 13 year old. Um, and that's, I think what's made me really good is just, I was a three sport athlete that when basketball was ready, I'm playing basketball, football is ready. I'm playing football. Um, I'm not playing, I'm playing 25, 35 games of baseball throughout a year. And then I'm going to a different sport. Um, I just, I don't like the special specialization of, of sports in today. I like kids be kids and like this play, play your sports, be athletes. Big, um, you know, I'm, I'm, pretty much your age and i i it rings so hollow like it's it's so true um i i, I don't understand because we the more and more we talk to these big league pitchers david and james the more and more we hear the same thing and yet you see a ton of amateurs still concentrate on that one sport so it's it kind of makes you want to pull your hair out sometimes yeah i mean just like the the, the development of I'm, obviously women are different than males but males developing 15, 16, 17, 18, Every, everything's changing, constantly changing. So you putting so much time on your arm and in miles, so to speak, on your arm at a young, young, young age, when you're trying to develop, I, I don't, I don't know how that's beneficial for you at 15, when you're going to hopefully hopefully make all your money when you're 25 26 27 like you're gonna have so many miles on your arm from 10 years of just non-stop craziness and i just think i think all sports adults are the problem it's not the kids it's the adults it's the parents but 
we we gotta we gotta kind of reel it in a little bit. Hey Chris, this was awesome. Thanks so much. Really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better here. And uh, congratulations on a, a terrific streak here. We hope you keep it going into the 2022 season. Thanks, man. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Big fan of your work, man. Keep it going. Thank you. David, one of the interesting things that Chris was saying about how his his spin rate doesn't really play up with the guys in the A's analytics department, I'm kind of wondering, and, and I I regret not asking this at the time, but you know, what are those individuals in the research and development departments kind of saying to Chris is he you know a, a misfit toy do they let him kind of just do his own thing in the corner now how do, you know he, he kind of doesn't play into their system so how is he looked upon from the individuals in the, in the research and development department what do you think yeah you know I think this goes to a point I think you know James Smythe and, and I talked about this quite a bit you know everybody wants to throw around the term analytics as if everything's under one umbrella but there's so many subsets within analytics that actually are pretty favorable to him now spin rate isn't everything Adam Wainwright on our podcast earlier this year told us that you know there's a lot of examples of players that don't have elite spin rate but have elite results and I think the key with Chris Bassett is he has elite pitch design he has elite nuance to his pitches, subtle little movements that really are effective to hitters. They give hitters a different look. You get used to maybe a two-seamer if you're a right-handed batter on your fist, and then he cuts one in the same location, tunneled in the same spot. So yes, the, the spin rate doesn't light up the charts, but the nuance, the command, the subtlety of the change of style and his many different pitches that he has really good command of, to me, adds up to a really good pitcher. Yeah, there's, there's more than one way to be successful. If you can command your pitches, if you have control over, you know, a wide variety of offerings and you can locate to all quadrants of the zone, hey, it, success is success and you can't deny it. And uh, I'm glad that we were able to have him on. And uh, Coney, out of all the guys that we've seen pitch, uh, you know, at Yankee Stadium this year and all the guys that, you know, you've talked about, you know, I don't know if there's anybody this year that you raved about more than Chris Bassett. So uh, I know you're a big fan. I'm glad we had him on. Yeah. I mean, he really encompasses what I talked about in my book. You know, I did with Jack Curry uh, in full count about this X games where you have pitches that break both ways on both sides of the plate. You mean, you have a two seamer on, on the right-hand side of the plate inside to a righty and a cutter that breaks the other way. So you have kind of a crisscross game with all of your pitches. He's probably the best pitcher in the game at doing that right now with all of his pitches of having movement going right to left and left to right to both sides of the plate with all of his pitches. And he's six, five. I mean, he's long, long arms, all legs, and, you know, probably can throw harder than he is. It doesn't need to. I think that's really impressive. That sticks out. Cause when you think a uh, six, five pitcher on the mound, you're thinking power and it's not true. It's all that side to side action. All right, James, what do we have here this week in pitching history? First week of the year. It's gotta be something really notable then. Well, uh, for a long time, this was Hall of Fame week uh, when, the, when the results would be announced. Now, starting in 2017, they pushed it back a couple of weeks. And, uh, and now this year's announcement won't be until January 25th when the Baseball Writers Association of America gives their, uh, the, the results of the balloting out uh, for who this year's Hall of Fame class is going to be. But um, over the last uh, 30 years or so, a lot of great pitchers were elected into the Hall of Fame uh, around this week, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th of January. Uh, so we'll just, we'll, I'll, I'll run down the list, and if anybody uh, jumps out at you, uh, have at it. So we got Jim Palmer in 1990, 
Fergie Jenkins and Gaylord Perry in 1991, Phil Necro in 1997, Don Sutton in 98, Nolan Ryan in 99, Burt Blylevin in 2011, long wait, long overdue, he got in. And then uh, in 2014, Greg Maddox and a friend of the show, Tom Glavin, getting in in a big class. That was Maddox, Glavin, the big hurt, Frank Thomas, and three Hall of Fame managers, Bobby Cox, Joe Torre, another friend of the show, and uh, Tony LaRusso. You know that Nolan Ryan had a had a first pitch. I think it, it's been on Twitter. I don't know if you've seen it, but I think it was last year. Over the last couple of years, Nolan Ryan was invited to throw out the first pitch to the game, the ceremonial first pitch. Jim Sundberg was catching. He lifted that leg, and you know there's an expression in golf: can can you shoot your age? Nolan Ryan can still throw above his age. He can still throw it about 82 miles an hour, probably harder if he wanted to. He threw an absolute bullet that, that almost knocked the glove off of Jim Sundberg at home plate. So Nolan Ryan is a freak of nature. There's never been anybody like him. I don't know if we'll ever see anybody again quite like Nolan Ryan. He physically just – he's just different, just a cut above. Express. Ryan turns 75 on January 31st. I think he can – I think he could still uh, – crack his age there Coney. yeah absolutely i think he could he could break his age definitely in terms of miles per hour count me in with that bet as well i would i would say that's pretty safe um all right guys three up three down we take a look at something that's happened in the industry shed a little light on it and with a lockout going on and right after the holidays and unless you're really into the international signings of guys going over to, you know, the KBO and, and the Nippon professional baseball league, we're uh, you're going to have to be creative here. And I think we have for the most part, James, why don't you go first? All right. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll lead off. I'll be, uh, I'll be Ricky Henderson for this, uh, for this segment. Um, John Madden passed away uh, uh, last week. Um, beloved, Hall of Fame uh, NFL coach with the Raiders, a uh, longtime uh, broadcaster, uh, calling games, and of course uh, the head of the uh, the ubiquitous Madden franchise uh, as, as a video game, uh, an accomplished football life. Um, but one thing that jumps out to me when I was looking back on on you know growing up and watching big games with Summerall and Madden uh, calling the action that I was thinking applied to baseball was that his enthusiasm for the game jumped through the screen at you and pulled you in. And as a young fan really made you really want to see more of this. And two things that were so great about him, the enthusiasm and also making pretty complex concepts seem clearer to the viewer. Um, And I think that's such an important part, especially now uh, in, in sports broadcasting to have uh, that digestibility and Coney, I think you're one of the best at it. And I, I'm not biased uh, saying that, but uh, as Plus far as you know, right taking here. a lot of these, a lot of these, uh, you know, newer metrics and things and explaining them to viewers on. Yes. Um, I, I think you're great at that. And another thing that I'm, I'm glad we have on. Yes. That maybe you don't see in, a, in, a, in, in some of the other broadcasts is that the, the, the broadcasters, whether it's play by play or analysts truly love the game and, and don't forget that, hey, it's a game. It's a baseball game. It's not, you know, a life and death matter. It's nothing terribly serious. It's fun. It's supposed to be fun. So that embracing the fun aspect of it, I think, was, uh, was a big part of it. I think that's why so many people connected with him. And I think it's a, it's a big part of, of baseball broadcasting, too. Great point. You know, you mean actually love the game and give credit to the players? Yes, that's an important thing. It's well said, James. Uh, 
you know, I, I love today's player. I mean, Aaron Judge is an absolute stud. I love watching him bat, loving watching him hit, watching him take batting practice. I don't think I've ever seen anybody quite like him. I mean, maybe Mark McGuire back in the day, you know, in the, in the middle of the era, so to speak. But, but yes, it, some of the best pitching I've ever seen, you know, you're talking about Chris Bassett and his craftsmanship or Jonathan Loisega and Clay Holmes throwing 99 mile an hour demon sinkers. Uh, you know, the talent level across the big leagues is as good as it's ever been. And it's an international game too, as well. Several countries represented several Latin American countries. And, you know, the, the, to me, uh, the game in some ways is as good as it's ever been. Yeah, I think the equivalent of, you know, expressing that energy that John Madden has had in football, I don't think we've seen that in any of the, you know, three other big sports in, in North America. I think that just makes him such a an iconic figure, an iconic ambassador of his respective sports. just uh, de- definitely our loss, especially everyone, you know, around our, you know, our age range, um, you know, David, I'm sure can go back to knowing like him coaching the seventies, uh, coaching the Raiders in the seventies and then in the eighties as a broadcaster. And for you and I, James, yeah, broadcasting. Sure. But I mean, the Madden video game is where I kind of learned the nuances of football. I mean, you Same. don't have that type of thing in baseball. You don't have a baseball video game that literally teaches you the sport like that. So I think that's what kind of sets him apart when you think about, yeah, he has the energy, has the passion that is really unmatched, but a a device, an avenue that you can kind of teach younger people about your said sport. Like you said, put the complicated, complicated words into a very simple format and convey that in a very simple way through a video game, no less. I mean, if someone can figure out a way to do that with a baseball video game, you're definitely going to have something there because it's a, it's a teaching device. Listen, video games are not bad, right? Uh, if you're out there, you know, j- just look at the Madden video game. That is a teaching tool for sure. Um, all right. Three up, three down. David, you were mentioning how popular the sport is across the globe. It's also very popular, like we know, at different levels, the collegiate game, minor leagues, especially. And if, you don't really follow the minor leagues. You know, this is something that you probably haven't seen, but I wanted to take a minute to talk about the Iowa Cubs. They're the AAA affiliate of the Chicago Cubs. And like I said, unless you're really locked into, you know, the minor league side as an industry, you probably didn't know that earlier this offseason, a bunch of minor league clubs are being sold to a group called Diamond Baseball Holdings. I think it's an extension of, of Endeavor, but the Iowa Cubs are one of these teams it made sense, I guess, to sell. The sale closed last week between Christmas and New Year's. And their outgoing owner, his name is Michael Gardner. He's in his early 80s. I don't know the exact age off the top of my head. But I guess he made a nice profit. And he expressed his gratitude to the Iowa Cubs front office staff, which had 23 full-time members. And he gave each of them 2000 bucks for every year that they were employed by the team whether you were in corporate sales, whether you were a maintenance worker at the stadium, if you were full-time, you received two grand for each year that you worked for the Iowa Cubs. So employees' checks, they kind of ranged, I'm looking at the New York Times article, they ranged from $4,000 to $70,000. And in total, Michael Gartner gave out $600,000 to his employees on his way out. So a wonderful gesture. You do not see this often in a place like minor league baseball. 
And we want to say congratulations to uh, Michael Gartner, a job very well done. It's a fantastic story. The Iowa Cubs are one of the great minor league franchises forever. I played there in Des Moines, Iowa. It's a great little city, fun place to go, play triple A ball there. Uh, you know, and then piggybacking off of the minor league style of life, there's been significant changes, obviously. Now, Major League Baseball organizations will take care of the housing for the minor league players now, which is a big issue. Minor league players were treated more like apprentices. Um, you know, I remember making $600 a month just for the six months that I played. I had to get a job in the offseason. My first minor league stop, because I signed out of high school, was Charleston, South Carolina. It was the Charleston Royals back then. I had to find my own housing with a couple of other guys. Uh, we, we had to go uh, underwater just to get a lease. And then we had no furniture. I slept on the floor. I slept on my clothes for half the year that year. And our next door neighbors threw out an old ratty love seat. And we both just sprinted out the door, grabbed that love seat, threw it in, sprayed it down with Lysol and then whatever we could get just to try to clean it. And we took turns sleeping on love seat, you know, every other night. So the minor league life is tough. Major League Baseball players and their association legally could never represent the minor league players. They weren't part of the association. They weren't part of the union. They could not be included in collective bargaining. It was always a black hole in the game for the players. And minor league players finally are getting their due. And piggybacking off of your story, Justin, obviously the front office and that great story in Iowa on the sale of the team. Well, if you're a minor league player, you're getting a little help, a long needed help to where you can get some housing. Uh, you know, and, and certainly in all these small minor league places, especially the lower levels, low A ball, high A ball, all these small minor league towns. It, it's tough. It's tough for these guys to find housing. It's nice to see them finally get a little bit of help. Hallelujah to that. Uh, you know, I, you obviously could speak to it as a player. James and I could kind of speak to it as front office employees. We both worked in minor league ball, kind of, kind of cut, our, cut our teeth in minor league baseball. I was an air mattress disciple for sure. Um, it's uh it's tough. I don't think there's any other way to, to kind of sugarcoat it or try to, you know, basically say, Oh, it's, you know, it's not as bad as they're, you know, making it sound. It's, it's a rough way of living uh, for the longest time living below minimum wage. It shouldn't happen that way. And you're right. It's terrific to see that true help is, uh, is on the way here in the new year. It's a job. It's not, it's not an apprenticeship. It's a job. And these guys have families. Some of them have kids. So yeah. Uh, here, here. It's, it's good to see them get a little bit of a little bit of a boost. Thanks to Chris. Thanks to our producer, Dan. Guys, we'll talk to you next week. Another great guest is on the horizon as well. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Let us know what you think. And again, new episodes each and every Tuesday here on Tone with the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media. We will talk to you next week, everybody. Take care.